Dark Fringe Radio, episode number eight. Here with my main man, Jake Alosi. My Costello to my Abbott. What's up, bro? What's up, brother? So how you doing, man? Everything good? Oh, another day in paradise, baby. So we got a lot to talk about tonight, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the shit that scared up his children. <laughs> Tell him, Jay, exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight, man. Break it down for these people. Tell them what we're going to be talking about. Tonight we are listing off our top five horror movies of all time. The things that made us fear the dark. Everything that made us question reality and certainly made us want to crawl out of bed very slowly and find a bright corner just to curl up in every day. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. So, again, uh, I just wanted to, you know, preempt this and tell everybody about our social media, uh, darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. That's the uh, website. Uh, catch us there. All the latest content is going to be on there. Also going to link my uh, SoundCloud, our SoundCloud page there uh, to that as well. So that way you'll be able to go to the site and catch all the episodes there as well. So it'll be just a really quick and easy uh, access way to uh, get all our content. On uh, Twitter is Dark Fringe Radio. Um, you can follow us there and the same handle on SoundCloud. Please um, uh, go to our SoundCloud page and um, you know, please uh, you know, leave a suggestion, a comment, a thumbs up, a like, and a follow. That way we're, you know, we're just trying to um, you know, gain some numbers in that part of the arena. And um, please you know, spread the word. Tell you know, other people about this podcast. Uh, we're going to be here more consistently, as you've seen in the last few weeks, that we've been able to pump out an episode for you every week. So, um, again, of course, with, uh, with me tonight, my... Uh, my partner, uh, Jay Galosi, uh, not partner like that, but you know, my partner in the podcast, you know, in this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's not how I roll. <laughs> no, 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 of course. But, um, you know, we're going to be talking about the top five scariest horror movies that we, uh, we think in our, you know, our lifetime. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into all that here in a second. Um, again, I wanted to uh, remind everybody about the uh, you know the tragedies in Houston and of course Puerto Rico again if there's anything you can do to give um to any of those uh, charities again um please you know do some research into the organization that you decide to donate to make sure that you're maximizing your dollar to the fullest extent and uh, that way uh you know the, the right people get the money that they deserve so please make sure to do that and just wanted to you know give a little bit of uh information about that Jay some very important stuff you know a lot of people are in need right now no, absolutely. These are uh, these are the times where we actually get to show the brighter, better side of humanity. It's one of those times where everybody that is able should go ahead and do everything they can to help out their, their fellow man who's in a worse position to unforeseen events, something they can't control like the weather or uh, or whatnot. With all the negativity that's been going on, it's so touching when people reach out to help out one another, and I think that's what's going to, you know, bring us back to the brink yeah absolutely you know it's funny when things you know bad like this happen and it reminds me there was a time in our life where i really saw it where when something really bad happens in you know our country 
we all get together and we're all nicer to each other. Do you remember how it was after 9-11? Yeah. You know how nice everybody was to each other after 9-11? Yeah, man. Everybody was – we were all – because as a community, as a, as a society, we there were There was afraid. no police brutality. We were – it was – Nobody was getting yeah. beat by nobody. Because for a hot minute, for a hot minute, we all felt like we needed to band together to protect another one another. It's it's herd mentality, and uh, you know it was a beautiful thing while it lasted. Yeah. And um, you know this is one of those things that hopefully we can we can tap back into that and and help one another out and maybe help maybe this is what one of those things that we need to help uh, the divide in this country. Yeah. You know, right now all this crazy race stuff going on and, you know, the left and the right and the Republicans and the Democrats. And, you know, for a minute, we all need to step back and take a look at who we are and, and help one another out. Yeah, we need to sit there and say, hey, listen, you know what? You're bought and paid for. And guess what? I'm bought and paid for, too. You know, it doesn't matter what side you're on. If you're on the Republican or the Democrat side, you're bought and paid for. And once we all come to that agreement and real, you know, realization and, uh, you know, notice that that's, you know, having that affiliation with one or the other is just not uh, something that's going to be productive um, in our time. So that's just my opinion. Um, but tonight uh, we're going to get into the top five scariest horror movies of our time. So we're going to start off with you, Jay. Jay, what's uh, number five for you? Number five for me would be Halloween H2O. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. The the only Mike Myers installment, even though he is a black-eyed, soulless, knife-wielding murderer. Yep. I, uh, I found H2O to be my favorite of that series, and it's one that sticks with me. Um, and much like all these on my list, they not only scared me, but they entertained me and kept me back going for more. I, I always felt like H2O was... It was an oddity because in every movie, in every movie series, you find, you never really hear about what happens after. Uh, and in horror movies, it's one of those things where they actually do tend to come back to a particular heroine or hero mm -hmm. who somehow survives the trial or survives the, the murderous onslaught of whatever is chasing them down. And I found, I found H2O to be very intriguing because it really, it was more of a, direct sequel to the first and second and completely forgot the fourth, fifth and sixth installments. Yeah, exactly. It's just totally bypassed all those years, uh, but picked up right, you know, right where, where two would have left off. You're right about that. Well, it picked up 20 years later. It picked up 20 years later when, um, when Lori Strode, who was the, who was the, the sister that survived the original two movies, or the original two um, installments of that, that series, it opens with her, and so then you end up having her having that overwhelming feeling, that sense, and she is forced to, to f come to find that Mike Myers broke out of the insane asylum that he was in and had been tracking her down, her and her son, and now she's got to go face Mike Myers to save her son, ultimately beheading him with an axe. Yeah, that was a perfect ending to that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked how they picked it up on the next one, but unfortunately, they kind of fumbled the ball on the rest of the the, uh, the film. But um, you know, they how they switched out the bodies and so on and so forth. Yeah, they did a kind of the little switcheroo, you know, kind of cartoony. Uh, you know, here it is here, and now it's not kind of deal. But um, yeah, that's a great one, and let's play a trailer for that. You know, just for old time's sake. Hold on a second. It's 1998. 
in a remote California town at a secluded private school. We could have a Halloween party, just the four of us. We could have a roaming orgy. I love the way this man thinks. No booze, no drugs, no kidding. One teacher is living in fear. I'm not who you think I am. I changed my name when I went into hiding. Terrible. Take off your clothes. My brother killed my sister. <laughs> How'd he do that? With a really big kitchen knife. That's enough. I can't take it, Mom. He's dead. It's been 20 years. What's he waiting for, huh? Don't you think he would have shown up by now? No. This is a sick joke. <laughs> now. Come on! The face of good and the face of evil will meet one last time. But this time, it's going to be a fight to the finish. This summer, Terror won't be taking a vacation. <laughs> Halloween H2O. It's Halloween. I guess everyone is entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. Yeah, that's a great one, Jay. I like that one. That's a great pick. Still brings chills up my spine. All right. Well, um, since uh, you gave me your number five, I'll give you my number five. Uh, I'm going old school. Evil Dead, the original one, 1981, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Sam Raimi, starring uh, Bruce Campbell, Ellen uh, Sandweiss, and Richard uh, DeMancor. And so um, if you don't know, I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, Jay, but this is like an old school cabin in the woods uh, kind of fucked up film. So basically, the synopsis is this. you got five college students that take time off to spend a peaceful vacation in a remote cabin. A book and an audio tape is discovered, and its evil is found to be powerful once the incantations are read out loud. And of course, once they find the book and the fucking tape, what do they do? They fucking read it, and they start talking about it. And what happens? They fucking summon demons. <laughs> White people for you. Anyways, uh, the friends... Uh, find- <laughs> what, what can I say? We don't understand anything about that Santeria stuff. And we just You guys fall right into it. For long it is something that we don't believe in until it's suddenly kicking our ass. <laughs> so the friends find themselves, you know, helpless to stop this evil that takes them one by one, with only one survival left with the evil dead and desperately tries to fight uh to live until morning. And it's just a great film. Uh basically uh you know, jump started Bruce Campbell's uh, career in that you know, the horror mm-hmm. genre. And, of course, Sam Raimi, everybody knows Sam Raimi. He's done so many films since then. Of course, he did the original Spider-Man series, um, you know, the three with Tobey Maguire, the first three that came out uh, back in the early 2000s. So um, a great film, one of my all-time favorites. I can remember uh, back in the day um, renting that movie from Video Extron. This was even before Blockbuster Video. And uh, they used to have these little mom-and-pops, uh, you know, video stores. Yep. Very small. I uh, had a very limited number of, you know, video cassettes and usually only one of each. You know, you're not going to have multiple copies of, you know, films in there. So uh, going in there, you know, looking at this, uh, you know, film from the outside, just a picture of a house saying Evil Dead. I was like, you know what? Let me pick it up. 
When I took that thing home and I watched, I think I was like around nine or ten years old. I think I was frozen stiff for like a good two hours. So ever since then, uh, I considered it uh, one of the best uh, horror films of all time. So uh, we're going to play a little quick uh, trailer for that one here, too. Hold on a second. Let's hear it. Hey, Scotty, what's this place like anyway? Well, the guy that's renting it says it's an old place. A little run down, but it's right up in the mountains. Nacheron de Manto, roughly translated, Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. It deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces which roam the forest and dark bowers of man's domain. Something in the woods did this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. <laughs> They're alive, actually. Spades. Two spades. Jack of diamonds. Jack of clubs. Yeah, he was responsible for this as well. So, <laughs> but this was a classic, man. Once, <laughs> this was a fucking classic. Once this yeah. came out, man. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was so simple. It didn't cost a lot of money. It was just a fucking old ass cabin in the woods. You know, even the special effects, you could tell they were like claymation effects, which was kind of cool in a way. Um, the funny thing is about this movie, there was so much blood in it. They actually had to change the color of the blood because um, they had it was such an excessive excessive amount of blood. They actually had to change the color. So sometimes the blood would come out green or like like a light blue. It would be some kind of weird fucking color. But uh, yeah, they actually had to do that for this particular film. You know, one thing that I've noticed about a majority of the uh, horror films, not only as I was going trying to really go through the my my top five and as I was reading and looking, I find that sometimes the low budget ones, those are the scariest. Yeah. It just has like a low, I don't know why it just has a little, a level of like authenticity. Like it's just like the set is so fucked up. It's so cheap that that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what I, at least I think, Real. but uh, okay. Uh, we'll go to number four then, man. Uh, what's uh, number four on your list there? 
Number four for me is Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Oh, Released in 1987. Directed by Chuck Russell, of course, written by Wes Craven, where Robert England reprised his role as the one and only Freddy Krueger. And, of course, Nancy played again by Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. Uh, Classic role. Yeah, this movie scared the shit out of me. But this was a cool installment of the Nightmare series because it gave these uh, kids like these powers when they were on the other side. Yeah, the Dream Warriors. So you you find out, you know, it's you. It starts off uh, where one girl, Kristen Parker, was the name of the character, uh, is being chased by Freddy through that abandoned Elm Street house that doesn't really know why. Um, That's the one that Patricia Arquette played, right? That is Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Okay. So, of course, through her fight with Freddy, she gets a wrist flash. Mom thinks that the suicide attempt sends her to a mental hospital where she's met up with the remainder of the Dream Warriors. They end up being mentored by a therapist who is Nancy from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. And she's trying to teach them how to protect themselves through dream and using dream therapy to help them work out their problems not really realizing that what she's doing is putting herself back on the chopping block for Kruger. And it turns out that all those kids are the last kids alive from the parents that burned Freddy to death. Right. So he's out for revenge. And what he does, of course, is systematically, one by one, picking them off in the ways that they are most afraid of. Classic uh, Freddy. Classic Freddy. Yeah. Making it look like suicide. Just, and, and I think this is the beginning of the wise cracking Freddy. This is really where you start to see his humor was still dark. It was darker than any of the others aside from the first one, but it was more humorous. Yeah, you're right. And where we could see he uses his imagination through their dreams to really torture and scare the shit out of him before he kills him. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. He started using that, that, that kind of smart assy, you know, uh, stick comedy, you know, starting at that number three. And then it went full tilt number four. I mean, he was just like every other fucking thing was, you know, a comedic, you know. Comeback. Yeah, that was too, that, by that, that, by that point, it was, there was too much of it. And it was, you know, and it would become the kind of running gag as they went through the remainder of all the series and, and culminating in Freddie versus Jason, where he, at the, by that end, he was more a comedian than he was a slasher, but I, I tell you, I will never forget. And the first time I watched it, the scene where he's got the one guy using all of his ligaments and tendons. Oh yeah. As like a puppet. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, I still, my hit the hair is sitting up on my arm now. Just talking about it. <laughs> just that, that scene will creep me out for the rest of my life. It sticks with me quite prevalently. And, uh, and that is why it is my number four, because it is just, just frightening. Yeah, that's a good number four, man. Very strong, very strong. Actually, one of the favorite ones in my uh, in the uh, whole series of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's probably uh, definitely top three, you know, maybe one, two, and respectfully that one, number three, um, are in order. And then the rest kind of just kind of teeter off for me. But that great, great, great uh, choice for uh, number four. Yeah, see, I didn't like, I didn't think two was anywhere near as scary. No, you didn't think two was scary. Mm-mm. Not uh, when uh, the teacher, uh, the freaking PE teacher, got uh, scratched up in the back. You don't remember that? No, I do. I do. I think the the scariest part of that one, I think, mm-hmm. um, was for me 
personally was the whole fact that like Freddie was driving the bus. Oh yeah, the revenge at the end. That scared the shit out of me because because we rode we rode in a bus to school, and I, I remember having that that image in my head every morning when I watched Big John drive the the bus to Congress. I knew, I knew you were going to say his name. Um, and then there was when he jumped out of the glass and was invisible and was just slicing people up, but nobody knew where he was. That oh, yeah. that one got me a little bit too. But for the most part, I didn't think I wasn't impressed by two. Yeah. Scared the shit out of me. That's a great choice for number four for you, man. And uh, let me give you my number four. Friday the 13th, part six, 1986. And you're probably wondering, why the fuck part six, right? Well, the first one didn't even have fucking Jason. It had his mom in it. Then the first, uh, the second one, where he ran around the fucking whole movie with a bag over his head. That was okay. Um, number three is where he fucking finally got his mask. Number four was very strong. Number five sucked. <laughs> Number six, this is where, I don't know, I guess this may be where I was starting to like become a teenager and start to really appreciate these films. But it was directed by Tom McLaughlin and written by him as well, starring Tom Matthews as, as Tommy Jarvis, of course, and then Jennifer Cook and David Keegan. And basically, Tommy Jarvis is a recurring character in the Friday the 13th series, basically started from uh, part four. And in part four, he was a, a young child, probably around the age of 11 or 12, and he had his encounter with Jason and ended up having uh, you know, a mental breakdown and actually chopping Jason up with a machete. So that was actually played by, um, what the fuck is that guy? Corey, not Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman. Uh, it was actually played, he played him the first time. And so this is him many years later after he spent time in a mental institution himself, you know, trying to get over this, you know, whole psychosis and PTSD of, you know, Jason. So, you know, forward maybe, you know, 10, 15 years later, you know, Tommy Jarvis is in his late 20s, early 30s, and uh, he wants to go to Jason's uh, graveyard to make sure he's still dead, basically. Uh, of course, he digs up the grave. Jason's in the grave. But what happens? He accidentally brings him back to life. Now, you got to watch the film. If you've never seen it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But at this point, now it's up to Tommy. <laughs> it's a classic, you know, what the fuck happened? How did this happen? Horror, you know, situation. That's, that's the best thing about all those Friday the 13th movies. It's how they bring him back to life. Yeah. Every time. Every time. But they brought this one. This one was actually pretty impressive how they did it. So I, I, I'm not going to give it away, but take a look at it and uh, you'll see what I mean. It's in the first 15 minutes of the film. So. This particular film all takes place, of course, in the you know famous Camp Crystal Lake area, but it just the way that the kills happen and they were done and shot. I think it was probably one of the strongest Friday the 13th that I've ever seen. Jason wasn't slow or sluggish; he was like more lean and just you know much more fierce and brutal as a, as a Jason to me. Uh, so that's why number. Friday the 13th Part 6 was uh, number four on my list, and I think it's uh, you know one of the strongest uh, Friday the 13th films on the whole series. Yeah, you know, I, I'd have to agree with you on that particular one. Like I said, it how Jason came back started to become comedic, all the different ways they would find to you know, resurrect him, and even get him up in space. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think because the, the success of some of those Halloween movies, you saw Jason start to kind of morph into a machete carrying version of Mike Myers because there's just something creepy about that guy walking slow. But if you ask me, uh, you show me somebody that size that's somehow semi immortal uh, running after me, it's a lot scarier, man. <laughs> a lot scarier, a lot scarier, a lot scarier. All right, man, what's uh, number three for you, brother? Blue on number three is a classic, it was released before I was born. 
way back in 1974. I'm talking about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh, good choice. Uh, of course, directed by Toby Hooper with uh, Marilyn Burns as Sally Hardesty and then Gunnar Hansen oh, yeah. good as the one and only Leatherface. The man, the only man who could do that, that role the way he did it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's that classic story about a group of friends out in the middle of nowhere who are traveling to find the old homestead of the main character. They stop, they find a hitchhiker. Hitchhiker is absolutely out of his mind, ends up cutting himself, <laughs> trying to extort them for money. And when they make him get out of the van, of course, that's where they start their, their journey into hell. Mm-hmm. They go to a gas station to get some gas. The man who, the proprietor of the establishment, lets him know, there's no gas now, but we'll have a truck here by the end of the day if you come back. Mm-hmm. And going off, trying to get to the homestead, coming across the dry swimming hole, as they called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where you get that first glimpse of Leatherface and his absolutely brutal style of killing, where he bludgeons the dude to death with a hammer. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. You know, he, he he was he was so brutal. You know, none, none of the other slashers, none of the other horror murderers were anywhere near as brutal or as as just unrelenting as as Leatherface was. So of course, again, one by one, he's finding them and he's killing them. He's hanging them up on meat hooks. They eventually become dinner for the family. As you see, uh, you know, when Sally, the main character, gets away the first time, thinking she's gotten safety safely to the gas station only to find out that the guy who owns and runs the gas station is Leatherface's dad. Yeah. <laughs> or related to him in some way, yeah. And brings related, him right back to, to the him. house. And the hitchhiker, the crazy hitchhiker, is the brother. Right. <laughs> who would have thought? So they drag, yep, they bind her, they gag her, they drag her back to eventually become the final one killed. Uh, and as she's, she's able to escape, because they, they're going to let the grandfather kill her out of respect some kind of homage to him. Uh, but he was old and weak and slow, and she was able to get away. And as Leatherface chases her through this house full of furniture made out of human bones and skin, eventually she's able to get out, get away. She flags down a semi-trucker who had just killed the hitchhiking brother. Leatherface is going after her with the now famous chainsaw and what she killed her brother with. The semi-truck driver hits him with a pipe, making the chainsaw cut his leg they get in the truck to haul ass and then in the ending scene that that classic scene you see Leatherface dancing with the chainsaw above his head yeah. i mean it doesn't get any scarier or more classic and make you never ever ever want to take anything aside from i-95 or the turnpike anywhere else you go <laughs> yeah you don't want to do that especially near uh maybe a meat packing plant you know there's never anything good there either but yeah, let's let's go to the trailer, the classic trailer of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one. Let's take a look. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America.
This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. What a great line. That's, that's one of those you know, classic movie pitch lines uh, in the 70s. That, that guy delivered it so slow and so best, fucking creepily. Best voice ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Scare the shit out of you just by the tone. All right. Well, let me go to my number three, man. Uh, number three is the quintessential classic Halloween, the original 1978, of course, directed by John Carpenter. Written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, starring, of course, Donald Pleasance um, and, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis um, as Laurie Strode and Tony Moran as, um, you know, Michael Myers. So uh, that's number three on the list. Of course, if you guys have never seen this fucking movie, you must live under a fucking rock and I don't know, maybe in a bubble. <laughs> what was that movie with Brendan Fraser where they had him under underground for like 50 years? What movie was that? Encino Man. Yeah, or that one, that motherfucking movie. Yeah. There's no way in hell you've never seen this movie unless you're probably like fucking 21 or like 18 and you don't know anything about, you know, horror movies. But Halloween, if you've never seen it, I will break it down for you. Basically, the year is 1963. Uh, the night's Halloween. Police are called to to only discover that a 15 year old Judith Myers had been stabbed to death by her six year old brother, Michael. After being institutionalized for 15 years, Myers breaks out the night before Halloween no one knows or nor wants to find out what will happen on October 31st, 1978, besides Myers psychiatrist Dr. Loomis, played by, of course, Donald Pleasance, great actor. And uh, he knows Michael's coming back to Haddonfield, but by the time the town realizes it, it will be too late for many people. And this was a uh, one of the first horror movies that I watched as a kid. I probably started watching horror films probably by the age of six, and this was one of the first ones. They used to play this on... TV all the time. It was the edited version, of course, for TV. But on Fox Twenty Nine back in the day, you know they used to play, <laughs> they used to play some fucking movies at night, and this is one of the you know the ones they used to play every fucking Halloween. And um, you know this was a great film. It's a classic. And um, you know anybody that's never seen the film, I definitely urge you to you know take a look at it, uh, watch it, examine it because it's the king of basically stalker films, stalker killer films. Everyone after this was basically stole the blueprint from Halloween. Halloween had the, the blueprint for stalker killer films. Um, just by the way the cinematography worked, the camera worked, the angles, how they worked like that, it was just shot very well, and uh, it just created a whole new genre for the film. I know you've watched that film. Oh, hell yeah, I've watched that film. Okay, okay. Yeah, what'd you think of it? Hell that? yeah, multiple times. It's scary. I mean, I'm telling you, that mask itself. No Shatner face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the hair and the pail, and of course you can't really see the eyes in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife and I were in Vegas a couple of years ago, and we we're on the old strip, and you know they have these characters walking around, and one of the characters they had walking around was someone dressed as Michael Myers with the mask. Mm -hmm. And even though this particular Michael Myers was four feet tall, no lie, <laughs> loses his luster, no don't you think? It was the funniest thing for me. <laughs> What are you, chop my I've balls off? What are you going to do with that? Get the fuck you out know, of here. <laughs> I'm, five, 
I'm five two if I stand up straight, <laughs> right. right? And I tower over this guy. So I think it's hilarious because I remember watching these movies and Mike Myers is this ginormous monster of a of a man, and it still it freaked the shit out of my wife. I mean, she made sure she was close to me. I think more just because anybody in that kind of mask is scary, and that's the point I'm alluding to. It's that just that face, the mask, the the that music. That just scares the shit out of you. The score. That's so, no, I've, I've definitely awesome. seen it. It was definitely frightening, like I said, with H2O. I, I enjoyed the fact that it's in 1, 2, and then H2O were right in line. Uh, I always enjoyed those films. Those, those first three Halloweens were ones I watched. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a look at the trailer, the classic one. Hold on. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Those melons are a little suspect sometimes, don't you think, Jay? Oh, absolutely. Michael? I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a Halloween. <laughs> okay, lady. Come on out. That's the classic, man. That's the blueprint for everything else after that, man. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And does it get any better and yet scarier than the original Queen of Scream, Jamie Lee Curtis? Oh, she's so hot, too, back then. Back then, yeah. for sure. Hey, you know she's coming out with a new one? A new one what? Halloween. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. She announced on Twitter, I want to say two weeks ago, she sent a photo of herself um, she's got the short bob haircut, you know, gray hair. Oh. She's got the same dark blue pants with the light blue shirt on. 
standing in the porch of the front house saying, um, I think she said 40 years later, I think she said, if I had my numbers correct, 40 years later, same porch, same problems, just 40 years later, one more time or something like that. <clears throat> so, yeah, she announced that on Twitter. I, I want to say it was like two or three weeks ago. Oh my God. She's coming back, bro. She's coming back. All right, man. Well, what do you have for number two since we, we're, we're getting down the list here? Well, number two is probably one of my – it's one of those ones that definitely shows just how our own personal demons creep into these things, our own personal sensitivities. Uh, my second favorite just had a, a redo of it. My second favorite was it, man. Uh, 1990, 10 years old. Watching Pennywise played by Tim Curry, of course, the un, unmatchable Tim Curry, uh, as a crazy killer clown who says they'll all float down here. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, Jonathan Brandis is the child that he chases through most of it. What I liked most about it, um, it was told in kind of a, it more as a memory. Like they were talking about, it was a they were remembering it was a retrospective what happened. Hey, yeah, that was what I was looking for. Yeah, it was a retrospective. Uh, you know, it's, it's this group of adults who have survived Pennywise attacking them and their friends and getting a lot of their friends when they were kids. But now you fast forward to 30 years later and where they thought everything was was calm, all of a sudden kids are starting to go missing again and, and people are starting to look and this group of friends now realizing as they get together that everything that they've accomplished in their life has actually prepared them to go and face Pennywise to, to end it. Now, the problem I do have with the movie, of course, is the final battle with Pennywise, which is not actually a killer time, some weird big monster alien thing. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. But the movie leading up to that part and just the thought of Pennywise in the gutter dragging kids down, mm-hmm. now 10 years old, I didn't walk on a storm drain for years, man. <laughs> Stayed away from those motherfuckers, right? I avoided red balloons. I wouldn't even listen to songs. <laughs> 99 look balloons? Not in my house. Yeah, I don't even fucking like clowns anymore. Yeah, no, I don't. Ever the since only other movie. clown movie I enjoyed was Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which should get an honorable mention. But again, that was a comedy horror film. Yeah. But clowns scare the shit out of me, man. Oh, yeah. I don't like them either, man. And uh, have you ever seen American Horror Story? No, I have not. Well, they did this one season that was based in Florida, in Gibsonton, and uh, that's basically the um, mecca of the world or the, the center of the mecca of the world for uh, carnival uh, acts, like from like old school, you know, like carnies and you know freak shows and stuff like that. And of course. They, they did they did a whole series or a whole uh, se- uh, season on based on that. And there was a clown in there. They called him. I think his name was Giggles or something like that. And um, yeah, man, that's probably one of the most creepiest looking clowns I've ever seen in my life. I'll I'll send you a photo of him later. But yeah, ever since it, man, I have always been afraid of clowns. I never liked clowns to begin with, but that just fucking rubber stamped my fucking feelings on clowns right after I saw that film. Oh yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. Between that and then you had the clown and a uh, poltergeist. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and clowns seem to have this this now long-going thing. I really think Tim Curry, who stole that entire movie. I mean, he owned that movie as Pennywise. Um, that movie would have been nothing being, if it was Being Rocky mm-hmm. from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, actually being Dr. Frankenfurter. Um, 
it's his most popular role to date. He stole that show and, and created a long list of hate between human beings and clowns. <laughs> um, even as recently as Zombieland, where, of course, the final thing the guy had to beat was not only a zombie, but a zombie clown. A zombie clown, of course. Couldn't be a regular zombie. Of course. No, because what fun is that? Right. we got to make him a clown, too, just to you know, add the creep factor up a little bit more. Let's go to number two for me. I am going to go with the old school classic, way back old school. And we're going to head back to 1968, the original Night of the Living Dead, the black and white version uh, directed by George Romero, written by John Russo and also George Romero, starting Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, and Carl Hardman. And, of course, um, you know this is the classic zombie film. This is the mother of all zombie films. This is what every zombie film uh, took the blueprint from. Everything else after this is always after this. This is the mecca. This is the beginning. This is the genesis of all zombie films. Of course, Barbara and Johnny visit their father's grave in the remote cemetery when they are suddenly set upon by zombies. Barbara manages to get away and takes refuge in what seems to be in an abandoned farmhouse. Uh, then she's soon joined by Ben, who stopped at the house in need of gas. Uh, beset by the walking dead all around them, Ben does his best to secure the windows and doors uh, from the zombies. Now, the news reports are grim. Uh, with creatures returning to life everywhere. Barbara and Ben are surprised when they realize that there are five people hiding out in the basement. That's where things kind of get fucked up. Then you got Harry and Helen and Judy Cooper, a young couple, Tom and Judy, and then you have dissension setting in, and all the chances of surviving that that night just start to get less and less. It just It's a domino effect of domino effects, and just one thing after the other. Um, it's just a great film. It's black and white. Uh, the way it should be, it's just a quintessential horror film. The 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 cinematography is just done perfectly. Uh, the opening scene with um, you know they're coming to get you, Barbara. Uh, just a classic scene, and then you know the the plot twist at the end that just wrenches everybody's heart right out of their chest. Um, it just you know it's just a classic movie. I'm sure you've seen this one, right, Jay? Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Uh, classic among classics. It is uh, almost in a league of its own as far as the film, as far as the cinematography, as far as the writing, again, because it's black and white. It was kind of low budget too. Absolutely. Um, it has that kind of dark grainy feeling. Weirdly enough, did you also know that the, that Romero also directed the, uh, uh, that season's documentary on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, I did. Yeah, I knew he was a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that until I saw a um, a documentary they did about him um, regarding the Night of the Living Dead. And he actually he talked about that in that documentary. Yep, yep. I watched the same documentary, learned the same same way, and I found that to be uh, to be very interesting. As uh, they were actually showing kind of some some of the correlations that he did between. He's a brilliant mind. Uh, rest his soul. I know he passed not too long ago. Yeah, this year. Um, yeah, I think it was this year. Yeah, yeah, one of the legends, man, definitely. And you know, he gave birth to this whole genre of film. Every, I mean, I I, I put this in the same league as the original Dracula, the one that uh, Todd Browning did. You know, with Bela Lugosi back in the day. There's that Dracula film, and then there's everything else after. You know that, and then you, the same thing with Night of the Living Dead. You have the Night of the Living Dead, and then everything else is after that. You know, Dawn of the Dead, and all the fucking remakes and sequels they could ever come to imagine. And you know, look what's on. What's one of the most famous fucking TV shows right now on AMC? 
The Walking Dead. Where did that come from? That came from him. So it all goes back to that guy. So, you know, number two for me, Night of the Living Dead, 1968, classic. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. All right, Jay, number one for you. Let's hear it. The the, the grand finale, the, the, the piece of the resistance. I have to be honest, man. This number one, just to talk about, <laughs> makes me feel pressure in my chest. Mm-hmm. It, I'm suddenly a very small child in my sister's bedroom watching as she pushed the VC as the tape into the top of the VCR because that's how <laughs> far back we're going. <laughs> Love, uh, it. Love it. This is this uh, this film haunts me to this day if I have a bad day or a stressful day or or I feel like some angst. I know that I'm going to spend the entire evening in my dreams fighting Freddy Krueger thanks to this one particular movie. I'm talking about 1984's original Nightmare on Elm Street, directed and written by Wes Craven, with the same stars uh, from the third one with uh, for Kruger and Nancy, and of course adding in Nancy's boyfriend, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. Because what a movie was complete without Johnny Depp. That was actually his film debut. That's the first film he was ever in. Do you know that? I did, actually. I did, I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have... Classic you have death the, scene, too. The cutting of the teeth, the classic, and what would ultimately, in my particular opinion, Freddy Krueger becomes the all-time stalker slasher because anybody who can do the things he does, he's he's almost a god in the in the dreamland, in the dreamscape. Mm-hmm. You know, he's chasing these teens down, again, making them pay for the dark secrets that they don't find out till later about the neighborhood's parents cornering Freddy Krueger in this boiler room, which is where the movie starts off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is where they, they burn him to death. And of course, the mother takes his his glove and puts it in the boiler in her house, which just shows she was all kinds of shit bag nuts because I wouldn't do that. Let's but go. You have him go ahead. chasing these these kids and and doing the same thing. But now there's no back then there was no real puns. There was no joking. There was just some scary shit like him walking down the alley and extending his arms to touch like both sides. Oh yeah. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Not cool. Yeah, who does that? Come on. Right? Making the chick, dragging the chick up the walls and on the ceiling. Right, as the boyfriend watched. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Not cool. It's not cool, man. It's so, not cool. Not cool. But you know you know what's cool about um, a couple of things that they did in that film that kind of broke the mold? That same, had the way they, they made girl went up the wall and on the ceiling and the same thing they did to make it look like the blood from Johnny Depp was spewing out of the bed mm-hmm. was they'd actually created a room and put it on like a spindle or on like a, like an arm almost, if you will. So it could spin in full 365 degrees. Yeah. Like a gyroscope. And yeah, before, but th- nobody was doing that back then. No, nobody had was doing anything like that. So while the camera showed it looking right side up, actually everything was inverted and upside down. Mm-hmm. It was low budget, but they had to figure out how to get it done to meet Wes Craven's unbelievable uh, writing and writing style. You know, the whole scene where he comes out above Nancy's head as she's sleeping and ultimately knocks the crucifix off of the wall onto her sleeping body. Right. Um, you know, all that was was a sheet that they had pinned between, and that was actually Wes Craven himself nah. doing those motions. That's great. I mean, it's it's a classic among classics. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you don't feel like ever sleeping, 
ever again. <laughs> you should go watch this movie because I'm telling you, uh, I've seen every installment since, even though he scares the living shit out of me because I have that much respect for uh, the character that Wes Craven created and Kruger, the nature in which he kind of goes at things and, uh, and the sheer ferocity. I mean, yeah, he was just straight up killing in number one, man. It was just great. It was no, like you said, there was no puns. There was no comedic, you know, relief. It was just straight up kills, man. And you know, that that's, that's was Freddie at Freddie's best number one. And my favorite scene of course was the, you know, Johnny Depp death scene where, you know, him getting pulled into the, to the waterbed and then just getting sucked in with his, his headphones and his TV and just all of a sudden blood just comes blown out you know, from the bed and going onto the ceiling. Fucking great film, man. Yeah, absolutely. What a great choice, number one. Let's play the trailer. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jar and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that's a great film, man. Number one, great pick for you, number one, man. All time, man. That's uh, you, you doesn't get much better than that, man. I know. <laughs> I can hear the desperation in your voice now. <laughs> Dude, like that just, that movie, it just, yeah, it's it fun. fucks me up, man. Yeah. Even just hearing it, it just, yeah, and that it was just the trailer. Me on such a <laughs> fucking deep emotional level. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, Wes Craven fell asleep during the filming of that, wearing the Freddy Krueger, Freddy Duck Krueger, Freddy Krueger makeup, uh, saw himself in a mirror and actually scared the shit out of himself. Oh, I, I, imagine. Imagine you waking up and you seeing your face like that. Uh, no, because I would shit myself. Exactly. I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great film. And, uh, you know, Wes Craven, you know, he had his earlier hit with, uh, you know, Last House on the Left. And um, it was a good film, too. But nothing, it, 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 that paled in comparison to Friday. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, that was just, that was it for him. That uh, was what made his career after that. Anything else after that was just gravy for him. So uh, he also passed last year, I believe. And so... You know, got to rest his soul. So uh, let's go to number one for me on my list. It's going to be The Shining, 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick and uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. And I know everybody or most people who haven't, um, you know, 
lived under a rock in the last 20 or 30 years have seen this film. But just in case you haven't, signing a contract, Jack Torrance, played by Mr. Jack Nicholson, the legend himself, a normal writer and former teacher, agrees to take care of a hotel uh, that has a long, violent past. It puts everyone in the hotel in a nervous situation. Well, Jack slowly gets uh, slowly violent and angry of his life. His son, Danny, tries to use his special ta- talent, The Shining, to inform the people outside about whatever is going on in the hotel. Um, it's just a beautifully shot film by Stanley Kubrick. I mean, he's a, a legend in the directing world. He's done so many films. Um, prior and after that, um, but what a great film and ad, you know ad, adaptation from a Stephen King book, which I know Stephen King didn't like the movie, but fuck man, what a great movie! I loved it. What a great performance by Jack Nicholson, of course. Everybody, you know that famous quote. You know, here's Johnny. I mean, here's Johnny. Yeah, I mean, how many times has that been repeated over and over and over again? Well, I know Carson did it on, on the Tonight Show for decades. <laughs> he did, he did. Um, but yeah, this to me is uh, my all-time favorite. I could watch this film, you know, whenever it's on. It, it just has so many different creepy aspects to it. It's not so much um, blood and guts, but it's just more psychological than anything else. Um, it, it just gives you the creeps from the beginning to end because there's so many, like I said, different supernatural aspects you're dealing with you know, ghosts and entities in a hotel, but you're also dealing with people who have special abilities. And then, you know, you have all these things that are happening all at the same time. And, you know, this guy maybe is, you know, a recurring person in, in, a, in the same spot as being Jack, you know, Jack Torrance. So it's just a great film. It really fucks with your head, which I love. And uh, one of the first films that really, really, truly, truly scared me to death. So let's uh, take a look at the uh, original trailer uh, for The Shining. Uh, and here we go. Uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? Well, a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and... Uh, Rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. Mom? Yeah? Do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. Yeah, I guess so. For some people, uh, solitude and Isolation can, of itself, become a problem.
Yeah, that's uh, that's it for me, man. That's uh, number one. I, I just uh, that film just creeps me out every fucking time. No matter how many times I see it, you know Jack Nicholson's uh, you know acting performance and his facial expressions in the movie are just classic. You don't it doesn't get any better than that. No, no, that's why he was also the best Joker. That's right. I totally believe that too. I mean, Heath Ledger, great performance. Don't get me wrong, great performance, but just not not the same level as Jack Nicholson. Nah, nobody will ever touch Jack Nicholson. All the things he's done, uh, you can see the very beginnings of in that particular movie where he is just shitbags crazy. <laughs> yeah, he is definitely that. So, Well, that's it, my friend. That's uh, the top five horror movies for both of us on each other's list. And uh, I want to uh, thank you for uh, coming on the uh, the podcast tonight as well. And uh, you know, thanks for joining me and uh, giving me your top five for tonight, man. Hey, thanks for hearing them. Thank you for giving me plenty of reasons not to sleep this evening. Uh, it'll be all right, man. It'll be all right. Well, listen, again, um, uh, so our social media, darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. Uh, that's where you could uh, get all the latest uh, information on our shows and um, the latest uh, you know blogs that we post on there as well. Uh, on our social media for Twitter, it's Dark Fringe Radio and the same for SoundCloud. Uh, make sure to go to the SoundCloud, give a follow and a like there, please, please, please. And um, that's uh, you know that's something that we're looking to um, you know boost up our numbers there. And uh, again, please you know spread the word. You know give um, you know other people you know the information about our podcast. Let them know about uh, you know Will and Jay and talking about some crazy ass shit every week. So again, we're gonna have some uh, new episodes for you on a, a weekly basis. We're gonna have some guests here um, in the near future that's gonna um, you know beef up some extra content uh, for you guys. So that way you have a little bit of variety for the show. So again. For uh, my uh, partner here, uh, Jay Galosi, I am Will Martinez, your host. And again, thanks for joining us on Dark Fringe Radio. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.